0: All right. Hello. What's going on? Rich Ryan here. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. What's up? Today, I'm going to talk about some of my key takeaways from the race in Houston. And uh, I talked about this a little bit on my uh, DECA recap where I was doing the whole season. It feels a little self indulgent to do this, but this is where I really do some of my best thinking and and some of the things I'm going to implement in my training going forward. So I want to take the opportunity just to to put it down, just to see if it's anything that would be helpful for you on, on the training side of things. And just in general about how I'm feeling about like race tactics when it comes to high rocks. And uh, because this thing is, it's changing. It's ever, it's like a big puzzle still. And not even even the training itself. I think the training can be uh, a, a little bit more straightforward than, than, some other pieces of like I think Deca might could be a little bit more complicated on some sides of things, uh, where this is very much about like build your capacity, build your capacity, get uh, endurance, build your endurance, get fatigue resistant, just really do a lot. it takes a lot to get there, and then when you get there, like what you do and how you kind of organize it definitely matters. But there's some pieces within the race itself that it's becoming clear that people are, are learning how to race it a little bit more sophisticated. We're seeing these times really kind of drop and there's pieces within the race that I think that can be isolated and that we can put in our training to really get good at all of the pieces. So that's really what I want to talk about here. Some of the things I've talked about in terms of like the sled pull and the push and lunges and wall balls are some areas that I had to put a lot of thought around in these last couple of hours since the race. And is something that I, I, I'm going to dive into a little bit more. So on, but first, like the th- the main thing that, that where my takeaway of this race is that I'm, I'm very conflicted about about how it went on my end, and I'm I'm a little embarrassed on a couple ends of things. So I can't be upset about <clears throat> the place that I took, about the time that I ran. I mean, it's it's I've made almost a three minute progress in eight weeks from the previous race I did in L.A. Um, this time would have put me in the uh, elite 15 races if I would have ran it back then. So that that's a good confident confidence booster on that end. It is a PR by almost by over 30 seconds. I almost broke 60, which only four Americans uh, only four people have done on American soil, which is uh, something that I do want to accomplish at some point. So I was right there. Um, But there are some pieces that, that really stuck out about this race that, uh, that made me feel less good. And basically what one piece was how uh, I kind of conducted myself during the, the lunges themselves. I, I haven't watched, but I've heard from people that I I do dearly trust that I was taking advantage of not being called for like moving my feet forward uh, at that in a non lunge fashion. So kind of shuffling my feet in between the, the lunges so uh, i believe what i was doing i was like taking a lunge and as i bring my feet together i would then slide my other foot out and then alternate the the lunge like picking up ground that i shouldn't have picked up you know and that's something that is when i when i look back on it when i think back on it i should say I, i can't i can't pinpoint like how many times or what I was doing, or if it was something that I was consciously doing, or if it was like the fatigue that was going really, I think it was just the competition that got the best of me in that moment. It was, I was really closing the gap and I was, I felt like I was running a really good, strong, tough race that I wanted to run. So, and then just kind of like taking advantage of standards that aren't upheld it, it, to, it, taking it like too far. Right. Like, I think there is a point where competitors can do like really toe that line. And then there's a point where there's like overstepping and I, I overstepped for sure on this. And it wasn't something I was trying to do intentionally, but it was, I mean, subconsciously or even consciously in that moment, I clearly thought that this was an advantage that I could gain by doing like this little tiny shuffle in between, which is clearly against, against the rules and it's not something that I should do. And and like, I don't have a great explanation as to why all I can say is that I'm like really embarrassed about it. And that I'm really like, sorry, just to all of the people that, that, listen to this podcast that watch the videos all the athletes who i coach like, like the sponsors who are supporting me this year ten thousand and and, and powerlift like, and just like the competition in general like i i need to be better at upholding these standards if that if there needs there needs to be it needs to come from people who are getting good performances and have a platform like i am a person who should uphold this for the integrity of this sport if it's something that we really care to 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 see it grow in a way that we feel good about, like, you know, we don't want it to seem like we're cutting corners and, uh, you know, however, whoever cheats the best gets the best results. Like that's not, um, you know, that, that, that's not where we want to go. Right. And I have an opportunity here in my position to really uphold these standards and to make it and to have them dialed in even further, you know, and um, you know, certainly the game it gave me an advantage in in those moments, like I said, but, um, I don't necessarily feel like I was, I I cheated. (laughs) I don't, I don't don't think that is how I'm feeling. I'm not a a cheater. Um, I, but it feels gross, right? Like there was something that I I could have done to not have made myself feel this way. And I just didn't. So again, I'm sorry to everybody who's, who's listening, everyone who loves the sport and, um, you know, it's up to athletes. At the top, like like myself, like Kent, like Dylan, David, and like Ryland, side Meg, Lauren, Tara, Camilla, we're all like these athletes are doing a good job of holding standards. And even though sometimes it seems like that we might be doing things that are trying to give us an advantage, a, a competitive advantage, which we probably are. There's other times like the shuffling our feet with, on the lunges that's just like not, not acceptable. So that is something that I that has really tainted this race for me, even though like in terms of like time gain, I don't know, five seconds, <laughs> maybe um, in the end, at the course of the entire race and 10 seconds, I don't know, whatever it is. It wasn't, it wasn't going to change the outcome of the race, like n- really at all, but it doesn't mean that, that it should be okay with, with myself for that. So I need to hold myself to those standards higher. And I, I apologize and it just won't happen again. I'm putting that out there for myself to hold myself accountable. And just so, uh, you know, others can take cues from my mistakes on this. And, and that like, this this isn't something that you will see me do ever again. Um, and on that, on that end, right. Um, it's also to the judges to uphold, right? Like this could have been something that would be easily cleaned up with one line, like stop doing that. (laughs) Right. Not even like making me go backwards. Like, Hey, you're doing this thing. Stop doing that. Like same with the, like wall ball depth, go lower. Um, there, there's definitely been a lot of investment on the end of high Rocks this year to improve their, their judges and their standards. And this has been, this has definitely been better than what we've seen in the past, but there still needs to be a little bit more consistency on that end. Um, and, I think as we go, we're going to see that Hyrax is going to crack down even further. So we need to make sure that we're holding the standard through training and the racing. And that's just going to be our advantage. Once they do start cracking down on things like burpee broad jumps, which they did yesterday, they were on my ass about that. And I got called for some no reps on wall balls, not for depth, but for like not hitting the target. So they're paying attention. They're paying attention to it. So, um, they've done a much better job in the past and it's going to continue to be more and more stringent. So I would recommend not trying to like fudge these standards anymore. And you won't see it from me anymore that I promise. On the other side, I really kind of put myself all the way into like, I was trying to squeeze out every last little bit that I had for this race. And from that perspective, I'm very happy with how things went. I managed my energy really well through the middle of the race, had some ups and downs, like things weren't easy from sled pull until the end of the race, which is a lot. And and not to the point where in, in my previous race, I got in over my head and then I wasn't able to f- fight and get out of it. Here, I was able to get out of it almost every single time. Every station was a bit of a struggle for me on to some regard or to another like slide pole I'm going to get to. The the row was hard. I held it. The The farmer's carry, I broke once, which was fine, but I still broke. Um, lunges like we've covered, it was the fatigue and competition piece was getting to me too much. And then the wall balls, I came in just very confident about my wall balls. I thought I was in a really good spot to, to do, I don't know, 340 is something I, that was a, a time that was in my head that I thought I could do. Things have been fast. I'm feeling really good, really strong, really encouraged. And the fatigue just got to me at that point too. Um, too many breaks. And these are the moments where, when you really, when I feel I really want to, like, you don't get these moments a lot of times, right? When, when you're, when I'm really pushed to see what I got, when that fatigue, when those fatigue sirens are going off crazy and everything you want to do is, is just stop. And and I did stop a little bit. It got me a couple of times, even though I did hustle through those wall balls. I I, I did them. I didn't really take my time and and let them beat me from a rest perspective. But I I rest too often where I could have like put in a couple more reps. And really, if I just do, I don't know, break one less time. And I was doing reps of like four or six at a couple points. And that's just giving in to that, to that feeling. So from that perspective, that's annoying. And if I held those together even a little bit better, like if I did even a 350, which I did in LA, which wasn't a good wall, ball either, then, you know, I'm right in that uh Elite 15. I'm like right outside of it now. I think I'm like 19 or something like that. I didn't I haven't checked yet, but it's something that you know, I'm right there. So little things like that in this race, it's gonna matter. It's gonna matter for qualifications, it's gonna matter for your podium places. You gotta like, I need to understand that I'm racing myself. And in that moment in the wall balls, I was there next to Rylan and I knew that the race was going better for me than him at that moment. And then I was probably gonna finish before him, even if I took some breaks and I was getting ahead of him. Um And I started racing him (laughs) and in this race, you can't do that. It's all about pushing yourself as hard as possible all the way to the end, getting to those moments where you need to, where I feel like I want to push through something that is going to hold me back. And in those moments I (laughs) did. So really annoyed about that. So take that as a lesson as well. If you are feeling, if you're in those moments in these races where it's just like, Oh man, should I slow down? Nothing bad's going to happen. Right. That's something that I, I, I have told myself before that if I keep pushing through this discomfort, like there's nothing bad on the other end. It's only good, right? Like it's only being proud of myself and then being uh, happy with doing something that, um, I didn't think I could do in the moment and pushing through. And I did that to. Uh, I came up like one station short. I did that almost all the way through the race. Um, and, and and was really proud of my effort and i felt like i did run really tough and then when it really came down to it i wasn't as tough as i needed to be which sucks so but that is that comes along with training it's it's hard to just push in those moments that has to be trained right so that's an area that i definitely need to improve upon is like getting into these areas of in, in, incredible discomfort one way or another i haven't really figured it out because it's something that's tricky about hyrax right like you can't just do uh an hour long max effort for training, like you just won't get better that way. You need to progress. You need to overload. You need to build into things and then put yourself in a position where you're feeling that your wall balls, uh, your capacity for wall balls are, or lunges or rowing, whatever it is, is good enough on its own that it can kind of raise that floor so that you're not, um, pushed to these fatigue levels where sometimes you're making decisions that you, you can't you consciously can't control <laughs> right um so that, that that's a bit of a takeaway but again on the positives there i did execute a race i wanted to execute it felt great about that i was in i was in a position to battle with you know one of the best athletes in on the planet like literally in Ryland should egg and um it's something I've never, I've never done before right like i was able to do a high rocks in 30 seconds faster than i've ever done right and so a pr if it's four minutes or one second, it's still this achievement that should be celebrated for all the athletes who raced the over this past weekend or this past month. If you PR'd even by two seconds and you're like, oh man, I put in all this work, then like you still need to celebrate when you do something you've never done before, you know? So from that perspective, I'm happy. Uh, I'm on the, I'm on the right, I'm on the right path. There's progress being made. Um, got some more races to redeem myself in terms of my integrity as an athlete and my ability to hold these standards and to uh, you know be quite frankly be a leader in in this space. And that's that's what I aspire to be. And and you know we got tested here and I, I didn't pass this test, but I, I I very much intend on passing every other test coming forward. And you know that's that's my promise to myself and to and to you, all of you out there in the community. So uh, again, um. I apologize. So let's get into some training stuff. The, the sled pulls. This is something that is an area that it's hard to figure out, right? Like, it's like, is there a fitness piece to this that matters more than anything? Can you just train capacity? And then you're, you're pretty good to go. Um, and, and then because it's slower, right? Like there's not a ton of high output. Like there's kind of intervals of output you have to push it real hard and, and move yourself backwards. And that's how you have to do it. Uh, and, but like you, things can kind of slow down. Your heart rate can kind of come down physically. It's difficult. It's challenging on your grip. It's challenging on your posterior. It's, cha- it can be challenging on your anterior. Honestly, it's, it's just a very hard movement itself. So when you're doing the movement, you can, and it's also very challenging because it's, there's a lot of room to break. Right. So like talking about those wall balls where I feel like I didn't, where there's not a lot of room to break, but when you break, it's bad. And because you're like, Oh, I don't want to do this again. But in a sled, you kind of get a break. Every pull, you pull it for two to three seconds and then you rest for hopefully that much or less as you regain your position on the rope. So there's a lot of time that can be wasted. And uh, there's a lot of time that can be, um, Wasted because of how much fatigue you're feeling after that sled push, and a lot of times we'll be overcooked by that point. So we'll get to the sled and, and be like, "Oh my god, this is where it's this is where I need to kind of regain my 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 composure." But if you're pulling, if you're sitting there for six minutes or more, like it's just like too long, you know, that's too long. And there's definitely a uh, a piece of this that is going that helps. It's like a body weight component, right? Like how big, how tall you are, and how big you are does matter for the sleds. Like if you can lean back and use your momentum to move that sled back and carry it the entire length of the box, that is going to be really critical and that's going to help you a lot. So that's the one thing I want. I want, I personally, when I was going, yesterday, and this is probably one of my worst stations. It took me about four and a half minutes, took me four minutes in LA. Um, I've been, I've been right at that four minute mark. That's about where I should be. So this felt heavy to me and, how I know that it feels really heavy is if I can't generate enough momentum on that sled that eat that I can carry the that I can walk the sled backwards the entire duration of the box. So you have about six feet from the tape, from the front tape line to the back tape line that you should take advantage of. And that's really the best way to improve time. On the sled pull is to be able to move it the entire six feet each time, right? Like sometimes the momentum runs dry and like you end up being stuck in the middle and you've done it like two for two feet and then you have to do this explosive, powerful movement through your hips and uh, and just like walking it back and really text your grip even further if you don't get it the whole way back. So it's a, a very helpful to be able to kind of snap open your hips as you start and then have a big lean going backwards. So that big, powerful opening of your hips is what's going to move that sled initially. And once that sled's moving, you've got to walk with it. So it's like kind of a an open and a walk really fast. Um, and kind of there's a bit of a coordination piece to that as well. So I think that's a real important place to go. I think because there's... <clears throat> you know, there's only so much you can do if you don't have that extra body weight to help that momentum move back. And that's where you're going to have to get stronger. Right. Um, and a couple of things where I think could work really well on this side of things is doing things like pin pulls, rack pulls, RDLs, good mornings, Things like GHD sit-ups, toes to bar, and reverse hypers, I think, would be good just for uh, symmetry and mobility. Um, that's going to work the opposite side um, and not just consistently doing, you know, these kind of like half-half poles things. You know, when when the the positioning of the sled pull, I think, should be kind of like how you'd be in a deadlift. Only it's it's not going to feel the same as a deadlift because you don't have that same. Uh, that same like I don't know what the actual word what the what word I'm trying to look for here, but you can't drive straight down into the ground through your feet to open to help open up your hips, right? In a deadlift, it's basically you push down like a squat essentially as you pull as your hips come forward and your knees go back, and that's what's snapping your hips open. It's a lot from the ground. The with the plate, with the weights and sled of the sled being in front of you, you're now instead of moving vertically, it's like a horizontal load that you can't push you can't push into that ground. So like as, as much as deadlifts will matter, will be helpful. You're losing a lot of that, that momentum that you would gain driving through your legs as you're opening up your hips. So doing things like a rack pull or a pin pull, it would be setting up the bar at your knees, right. And setting it up heavy so that it's just the opening of your hips and back, right? Like that is where, what and like something like a, a good morning or uh an, an, uh or an rdl right there you're not really driving through your feet because the weight is already up like straight leg deadlift straight leg deadlift is the same kind of thing and you're just using that opening of your hips to get back up to that tall position and really we're kind of overextending as we're like leaning back and and using that momentum to drive ourselves backwards so obviously it's like drags will help as well and i think powerful fast sled drags like doing things like a sled drag would be you know it is kind of like a sled drag we're doing for sled pull but i would do something much closer to the sled or even having a like a harness around the hips and walking back really hard and really fast with heavy heavy weight right that will keep that kind of that moving and if you do kind of get stalled out like if you're not powerful enough on opening up your hips being able to drag the sled backwards fast and aggressive will help right so this is a position i think especially i think slater athletes this is a focus i'm gonna i'm gonna put on a lot right like i've done the thing where i've gained mass to compete in this and now i'm at the point where i can't play that game i have an advantage that's huge here on my running side of things if i continue to try to gain muscle and to look like a can't look like mcgee to look like hunter like it's not going to work for me i need to do it my way but i still need to be really really strong right Just because I'm not going to be bigger doesn't mean I'm not going to be stronger. And this is going to be a place where I'm going to put a lot of emphasis. So doing things that are going to be kind of deadlifts without that first drive through the legs, because we don't have that. We don't have that with the sled pull. It's just the opening of the hips and having your grip be stronger too. doing some uh, like rope pull-ups, towel pull-ups. These are going to help your, your overall grip, especially in that specific, like, um, that kind of puts your hands in more of a vertical position. So that is uh, a strength that is going to be a lot through like fingers and um, is going to be really, really helpful to have because that's ultimately a big weak point. And I wear gloves. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much they're necessary, but I'm not taking any chances. Like I, in the warm-up area, I felt the, that rope is a little, it's like synthetic, right? So it like, it's slick sometimes and it can move through my hands. So I, Put on, I have gloves in my pocket for a sled push, 10,000 shorts, interval short, great, great short, has pockets that, and that they're like good, um, like durable, like stretch woven material. So they don't get soaked with sweat. So I can pull those gloves out. They're dry. I can put them on during the run after the sled push, go into the sled pull, take them off right away and just like dump them and just get wherever they go. They go. Maybe I remember to get them. Sometimes I don't. They're like 15 bucks on Amazon. They're like wide receiver gloves. They're just like sticky and tacky. So I do wear gloves for this thing just to avoid that. But building your grip up better would be, is just that, that could be a point that is like this choke point for your sled pull. If you don't get that better, like nothing's going to get better. So that is what I'm thinking on the sled pull, working on deadlifts, but not from the ground and then doing heavy and explosive sled drags. Like you could do a sled drag for like a 25 meters, but like, that's not the same thing. That's not what we're doing. So like, I would say like six meters really, really fast and then rest for, I don't know, 10 to 30 seconds and then do it again really, really fast. Maybe a little bit longer to get, you know, six to 10 10 feet or whatever it is. I think that should be the max on that. Like you could do some sled drag stuff again if you're needing to load your quads and might not want to do squats, not want to load your spine. That's a great option for that. Or if your your range of motion is limited, then a sled drag is great to hit those quads up front. It's good for deck of stuff too. But I think that would be a, an interesting place for uh, for training here. Okay, into wall balls and lunges. So one thing I've been playing around with that I think has been extremely helpful, and this was under the advice of Meg Jacoby, who is a, a great strength coach. She's really good at, at programming that that side of things, is doing box squats, um, which are literally squats just to a box. <laughs> and, and you want and in my my case, it's about a 12-inch box where you do a squat down and you sit on the box and then you stand up. Right. So it it forces you to get to a position where you have a point to aim for, and then you're kind of driving without that stretch reflex. So you have to be powerful through your hips. And it's really a little bit more hip focused when it comes to squats. So. I have been doing that. It's been making me feel very athletic getting down into the hole for wall balls. And it's been helpful for lunges as well. My lunges have felt good even, uh, even without like the, the shuffle situation, but they have felt good. I felt athletic doing them. It helped helps my range of motion. It helps load that weight in ways that I haven't had it loaded before. So I think that that's uh, a, an interesting place to use it. It could be heavy box squats with sets of, um, Three to five, or it could be banded, like wrapping bands around the the barbell and having it anchored to the ground, and doing it for speed. You know, again, I have felt really good. I don't necessarily think it's a great, it's a great accessory movement to help with your overall squat, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna take your squat max up without also doing heavy squats because you still need to kind of work on that that stretch reflex to ultimately get the highest back squat that you would like. So, I think that that is is really helpful and it's also a huge advantage to be able to train to full depth one thing on the wall balls that we're seeing is people trying to get directly to 90 degrees but i think the depth piece needs to be trained a little bit more And i think it's going to be a bit of an advantage i had a conversation i think we were on a live live stream one time with with bracken crocker talking about this and he was like i think not going all the way past parallel is a disadvantage and I made a joke at times like, oh yeah, yeah, cheating is definitely harder. So that's that's an interesting uh, an interesting point on that. And maybe that's what the feet shuffle to. I don't know. But uh, the um, but what it what it doesn't do is it doesn't train that stretch reflex. It doesn't train the position of what you're going to need at full depth. And if you can get to that full depth and get there fast, you come out faster. So if you think about it like a rubber band, right? the 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 further down you go, the more uh, energy. That you'll have coming back up. And that energy is free, more or less, right? Where if we're coming to 90, we're almost kind of like stopping and starting, it doesn't, you can get a little bit of that stress reflex, but it's not as much. And if you go further down, you're going to get more. And that's free energy. And if you can do it well and fast, this is what a lot of the women do. If you watch Meg Jacoby do it, if you watch Miriam Van Roer do it, if you watch um more weeks, she, kinda, she can kind of get to 90 and, and bounce out really quick. But I think she's just like a, a super good athlete. <laughs> I think that's what's helpful on her end. But, um, if you can get to that full depth and get that full stretch reflex and bounce it back up, that's ultimately how you're going to get the fastest wall balls in my opinion. So you kind of need to go. And this might be a case where things get worse before they get better. Like a lot of things, a lot of things when it comes to form and uh, you know, kind of cleaning things up from a mobility standpoint, it's going to be worse because it's not the pattern that you're used to, that you've trained. So we're, retraining your body to do something new. And sometimes things get worse before they get better. So that might be a case there. So that's just what I'm thinking on the wall balls and lunges side of things, doing some box squats, banded box squats. Um, and then doing your other strength sets uh, with, with with like heavy lunges and things like that. I think that is a, and working that full depth on wall balls, you know, that we're doing the box, the box squats is going to help you get to that depth, help you be comfortable in those positions And then I think that's where you're ultimately going to get the most out of your, your training and your wall ball session. So last takeaway, this one will be quick. These athletes are good. There are some good ass athletes coming out for this thing. I was looking through the top 10 and on the men's race and they're ass kickers, man. You can't just jump into the sport on the men's side and do really well. Out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, we've seen Ryland today come in and do well, but he's he's really a special kind of talent. and it's not going like most people aren't going to be as well trained as he has, or like a well-roundedness and just come in here and and do well. Like a podium's gonna be hard to come by, but I think a top ten is not gonna be a walk in the park with the emergence of this field, uh, even just yesterday. Just a couple of shouts to, to the top 10. Uh, Joe Kilmer was up there, and he could be one to watch, man. He's young. He's really aggressive. He's pretty fast. Uh, he wants to beat you. <laughs> you can tell he's out there not racing to uh, to just see where he's at. He's out there to run hard. So he's, he's he put in some big improvement, and he, we saw him in, in DECA as well. So he's going to be someone to watch. On this seed, we got Mark Paulson who, who if he, he's going to be tough, you're going to be in a fight with that. He's only getting better at the hybrid stuff. We saw Jesse Bruce come down. Jesse Bruce is probably one of the toughest athletes that we have in this like OCR and hybrid space. This is his first high and he came down. And you know, it's hard to do well in your first one, but he's a fighter. And like, there's he, guys like that are going to be drawn to this sport because they want to see what it's about. They're like, hey, people say it's hard. Let me see how hard this is. So Jesse came and, and freaking brought it, man. He's, there's going to be athletes like that who show up who are going to be in the top 10 who are really well-versed athletes in endurance and in suffering and in and, and kicking ass. <laughs> and, and he's one of them. We've He's been top five in North American championships in the heyday of Spartan. And so he is no joke. And he's like, you don't beat him in, in a Canadian series. Keith Hardwick is literally cutting minutes off of his time. Every time he gets out there, he looks the part he's strong. His running's getting better. He's going to be good. If he shows up at a race, it ain't, it ain't a walk in the park. Ian Berger, he's a former CrossFit games athlete, right? And I don't know if the listeners really appreciate what a games, like how good of an athlete, a games athlete is. It's like absurd. If you've been to a CrossFit gym, if you've ever been around a, a games athlete, you look at them and you're like, wow, how is this even, What? how could you even be doing the things that you're doing? The amount of fitness that these people have to get to that level is astonishing. Even to do well, even to get into like, semifinals is like kind of, is a bit of a gimme. Uh, no, no, quarterfinals is a bit of a gimme. To get to semifinals where you like are competing as an individual to make the games, those people are like the best Crossfitters you've ever met. So for an actual games athlete, like not on a team all by himself to make it to do that and seeing guys like him come into this sport, that's going to be, pretty scary and he and i know for a fact that he put time into this he didn't like sometimes we'll see that like, games athletes come in they do one we saw uh a dude in dallas whose name whose guy. his name, who's got, his name I, I, it slips me right now we saw elijah muhammad pop into this you know we see sam briggs we've seen some athletes who are really good and accomplished at the crossfit level kind of pop in just to see what it's about and not really i'm sure not trained for it so but you know, guys like Ian are training for it. (laughs) So we could see them, them coming around and it's, and it's going to be an issue. And then um, Garrett Mitchell was 10th. He is just by talking to him, he's going to, he's the real deal, right? Like he's somebody that isn't going to be okay with getting his butt kicked and then being like, all right, like uh, maybe this isn't for me. He's in it for the long haul. He's ready to throw down and he's only going to get better and better. And there was also, um, an athlete who got his first high rocks, time is, uh, Paleo Menendez, who I talked to a couple of times throughout the, the, the day. He's the fastest runner I've ever seen on a high rocks course. Like no doubt. <laughs> like, and I got to talk to him a little bit. His, his running times are pretty similar to what, to what mine kind of are or were. And he looks the part when he's running, man, you're like, okay, this person is not somebody who is going to go, go down, uh, without a fight. And he went out there and fought. <laughs> he, being a fast runner, you know, sometimes the heavy stuff kind of gets in. Again, like I talked about sled pull, took him a long time. Wall balls took him a long time, but his running was faster than anybody else's out there. And uh, if he really puts the dedication toward this and we see fast athletes come in who are dedicated and, and willing to get better at this, it's not going to be a walk in a park. So all I'm saying is if you are wanting to be out here and to do well, you really gotta bring it. And we saw on the women's side too a, a brand new athlete, uh Bella McFarland, come, come in second, almost beat Camilla at that last at the last station. Granted, again, standards, we need to uphold them a little bit more. Swall balls are less egregious when when you're not hitting death than like shuffling your feet and, a in a lunge. I think that's much worse. But she's good. She was good all the way through. You know, new athletes typically fall apart. They get they get punched in the mouth somewhere. She had a bad sled pull, but rallied back and beat Chris Wiglowski. She's a defending world champion. Right. So you can't come in and do well off of just like your general training. You can come in and check it out. But if you want to be an ass kicker, you're going to need to really kind of put in that work. And that, yeah, this is right now would be a great time to, to plug the my training programs that I got going on. We got a, a group coaching and a 12 week high rocks and DecaFit training program. I'll link that down below. All right. So that's that bittersweet feeling, uh, mostly bitter, um, even though there's progress in the right direction. I got some things to work on. You guys got some things to work on. And that's that. I'll talk to you soon.